Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Chris Evans here. A big thank you for downloading our Virgin Radio podcast. Coming up on this week's edition of The Best of the Breakfast Show with Sky. Ant Middleton discusses fear and living with your own emotions. Sarah Pascoe chats her new book, Sex, Power, Money. Ben Elton tells us why for the first time in 15 years. He's going back to stand-up. And Josh Widdicombe shares the preparations for his new UK stand-up tour, Bit Much, and his forthcoming wedding. Plus loads more great guests. Enjoy, my friends, enjoy. Talking to Ant Middleton and his brand new book, The Fear Bubble, is going to be released this Thursday, available to pre-order now. Harness fear and live without limits. So within this, he talks um, via an overarching narrative of climbing Mount Everest in 2018. That's Mount Everest, everyone. He talks about the fear of suffering, the fear of failure, the fear of conflict, the big three. And refers to them as so. First of all, let's talk about f- the fear bubble. Tell us about the fear bubble and, and why that's. Sh- first of all, what is it and why is it useful? Uh, the fear bubble is a technique that I uh, adopted in Afghanistan. Um, I found that when I went on tour, you know, for six months, I'd be in this fear bubble and it absolutely drained me because, you know, for six months constantly, I was just worried, panicked, and, on red alert. Yeah, on red alert, basically in code red. Um, then because I love my job, I had to break it down and being exposed to fear on a daily basis, I had to break it down into bite-sized chunks i broke it down literally into seconds and minutes and i'd visualize even you know walking onto target i'd be like that well i don't need to be in the fear bubble i've got the boys behind me i'm not in any danger at the moment you know i could be but i didn't know about it so why worry about something that you don't know that's coming yeah um and then I'd, when i get onto the compound i'd think to myself right i know that there's an enemy position here on that corner and i visualize a bubble on the corner because i knew that that would be the high stressful you know octane moment where my emotions would literally if i didn't control them would take over so i'd literally break it down i'd get into the bubble do what needed to be done and then once that job was done i'd, I'd come out of the bubble and i might see some enemy combatants run to a doorway for example and i think right there's my next bubble so i'd almost use the adrenaline people get fear mixed up with adrenaline and think they conquered fear because they have this good feeling but that's adrenaline so i used adrenaline to get from bubble to bubble you know adrenaline is uh, is a is a feeling you're so elated you're so happy that you're out of that fearful situation that your body starts to um, celebrate. celebrate yeah, yeah it starts yeah. to go hey I'm still alive and it's that's adrenaline that's not conquering fear that's because you're so happy that you're out of that fearful situation or out of the fear bubble and uh, once I'd done that I went back to loving my job you know I was literally running around chasing bubbles because I'd literally break it down to seconds if not you know even a couple of minutes and um, that's what that's the technique that I've uh, that I've sort of adapted and uh, and relayed relayed to people from as young as 16 17 doing their GCSEs you know it's it's relatable to to all walks of life it's just a matter of breaking it down and not for example worrying about exam an exam the night before because it is exa- worrying it, living in a state of worry or red alert or yep. or living on my mum used to call it living on on your nerves oh you know mm. th- trouble with her she lives on her nerves yeah yep. it is just exhausting you have mm. no energy left for anything else but because you are nervous there is this this 
this sort of um, synthetic, sort of fake energy that you think you have, but it's useless. Yeah. Because it's like treading water for too long or panicking. Float getting, to live. Yeah, float to live. Because men yeah. are drowning by treading water and panicking. Yeah. And if they could just learn to float and do nothing and wait until their energy is useful and required, then they might survive. It's exactly the same concept, but, you know, this is psychological. Because what we do, we, we talk ourselves out of things. You know, we, we worry, we panic, and anxiety sets in, depression sets in. You know, this is the long-term effects that it can have of staying in that bubble. But you it's can not, manage it, that's the point. But, but it's your emotion, so why wouldn't you want to manage it? That's yeah. what confuses me with people. I'm like, why are you letting your emotion take control of you? You should be doing the opposite. You're with yourself to the day you die. No, you know, no, learn no. about yourself. Learn about your emotions. Your best partner is yourself because there's you and there's yourself. Until so, the day you die, so right? So get on with it. You are Lennon and McCartney. There you go. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to use that. I'm going to put that in my book now. All right, no problem. <laughs> right, moving on though now to what you talk about here uh, and in your book. And um, This book is out on Thursday. It's brilliant. And Middleton, the fear bubble. It will be number one. I can say that. He won't. Uh, modesty prevents him from doing so, but it will be number one again, guaranteed. Uh, everyone's secret fear the root of all fear and let's get on to that over to you yeah the root of all fear is uh the fear of failure and ultimately the root of all fear is fear of not feeling adequate okay i'm not, not good enough i am not good enough and that's with everything i'm not a good enough husband i'm not a good enough uh a co-worker i'm not a, i'm just not good enough for life and uh, that's ultimately what stops us in our tracks. We always try, rather than embracing who we are and trying to better ourselves, we embrace the negatives and we're always trying to, we're always trying to write those negatives rather than concentrating on what we're good at, rather than concentrating on the positives in our life. Yes, we all have negatives. You're never, ever going to be 100% positive, correct, perfect. So it's about it's it's about flipping that, and the world's full of it. The world's full of negative people. The world's full of, full of negativity, and it's just like, you know, if if you take that on board, well, guess what? You're going to be negative. You're never going to think you're good enough. You never think you, you're gonna you're gonna succeed. So what do we do? We shut down. We go into into robot mode. We're like, well, I won't even try that because if I do try that and I don't succeed at it, I'm going to fail. Therefore, I'm going to be a failure, and that's people's biggest fear is being a failure because they let that 1% of their weakness or their insecurities fully engulf them yeah. and become 100% of what them. What is that about? Why do we do that? But it's, it's, it's just drilled into us. It's, it's uh, you know, people always want to condemn us for, for, our neg- for, for our negativities. You know, they want to say, well, this is the true you because they've identified 1% of you. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what about the other 99%? What yeah. about the compassionate, the emotionally connected, the, the good work colleague that you are, you know, the, 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 the amazing dad or, or mum or, or husband or wife that you are? You know, we don't, we don't focus on that because the moment we focus on that, we're classed as narcissistic, we're classed as selfish, we're classed as... So what we decide to do is we're worried about what other people think and what, you know, what the situation dictates. Therefore, we fit into this void and we fit into this mould and it, it, it's... it's it's disturbing and it's upsetting because you look down and there's so many people in this smog in this in this in this void that you know you think to yourself the whole reason behind the book is i want to tell people what they're capable of you know how incredible a machine the body is and the human mind is when it works together when it works as it should yeah. in synchronicity when all cylinders are firing uh, at the same time all right listen and you got to go um because you're always in demand everywhere you're, you're always welcome on this show joy Thank to see you, you as always pleasure and middleton's the fear bubble is out on thursday harness fear and live without limits thank you very much cheers chris the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky on virgin radio aussie nick who's our next guest 
Our next guest is a writer, actor, and stand-up comedian extraordinaire. On nights when she's not on your telly, you can usually find her posting pics of her adorable puppy mouse. Her new book, Sex, Power, and Money, is thought-provoking and roaringly funny. Here to tell us more is the ridiculously talented Sarah Pascoe. Good morning, Sarah Pascoe. Nice intro, was he? Yeah, uh, Dapper nice. Dave, uh, come back soon. Seriously. Uh, because your your seat is being wholly filled. Sarah, how are you? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Okay, excellent. That's all excellent. All right, uh, Sarah Pascoe. I know uh, Sarah's book came out last Thursday. We've been away sort of effectively for three weeks. Uh, Sex, Power, Money is the name of her book. So it arrived here too late to be one of my beach reads. However, because at Rachel Hall Rainbow was around, you have read the book. I have read the book. So I read you, it. So off you go, fill your boots, ladies. <laughs> I read it over the weekend. I loved it. Oh, I loved so it much. because it was educational. It taught me stuff. It was inspirational. It made me stop and think about things. It made me rethink a couple of movies that I would have really enjoyed in the past. Indecent yeah. Proposal, Pretty Woman. But I was wondering, when you were writing it, mm. did you have an image of a reader in your head? Who were you thinking of when you were writing it? I always, I do have an image because my thing, sometimes, especially with some of the research that I was doing, uh, and I was kind of reading studies and papers, things that I didn't understand and I wanted to, I think you always have to think, I don't ever want this to be out of a reader's grasp. So in my head, I sometimes imagine a 15 or 16-year-old who might be interested and I would never want them to think, well, what does that word mean? Or by the, the end of a page, go, oh, I'm completely bored now because you're talking about... So it's like sometimes you have to over-explain things, but then that's where jokes come in useful because people don't mind being retold what dopamine is if you've done it in an entertaining way. Do, do that for us, just that bit. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to, sorry to butt in on the interview here. I, I can't remember. No, I, no but I talk about neurotransmitters at the beginning because they're so important in terms of like influencing our behaviour. Yeah. And exactly what you were saying earlier about sometimes we have a feeling and we, then we create a narrative as to why. Hormones and neurotransmitters quite often are that. We feel really great and we think oh, it's because of that when sometimes it can be something that's chemical and going that's on in your body. Freud, isn't it? So Fr Freud, the whole thing about Freud is that his philosophy was... Um, his his philosophy was the opposite, actually. That mm. wasn't it. So his philosophy is your history um, explains or mitigates or whatever yes. you, word you want to use your your current behaviour or your current thinking or your current psychology. And Adler, who was his nemesis, yes. uh, he said it was the opposite. He said Freud's entirely wrong. Mm. And what we do is we justify our current actions with constructs from the past. Yeah, it's very interesting with Freud as well because the whole point of um, suppressing memories that you could never argue with him because he would say this from your childhood is underwriting your current behaviour, and you'd go. It's not. And he'd go, ah, oh, it's even worse than I thought. <laughs> even worse than I thought. You've repressed it so much. Yeah. It's you're, even more powerful. You're so in denial. <laughs> yes, exactly that. So. And you do use jokes throughout it. Like you almost have an internal monologue or a, a second dialogue running alongside the main text. Yeah. Is that just how your brain works? Well, That's just yes, I've got this little heckler. But partly it's because when, when I wrote my first book, um, I, was, I was working with somebody and he was a man. He was a very short man. Uh, so sort of exceptionally short, kind of like 5'1". And um, in my first book I talked about body dimorphism in human beings now this is a scientific fact it's not my theory that men in general are bigger than women we have a 1.1 dimorphism and there's evolutionary explanations for that in terms of like competing for mates and um, he kind of took me up with it and said I just really disagree with that thing about men being bigger than women and I thought well of course you do because you're a small man and so of course to your truth and your life experience men aren't bigger than women and then that that kind of became the heckler quite often I would when I felt I needed to kind of state the opposite or say yeah, yeah, yeah. any generalization isn't true of anyone we are all individuals but sometimes especially when we talk about gendered or sexed things um, we say men are this and women are that and they never are 
And so the heckler was quite good for me to kind of to, well, it was always a great, allow that. Yeah, yeah, a great way of making it accessible because if you say something in the book that somebody's not doesn't quite agree with you, you're yes. constantly bringing them back in, and yes. you're not dismissing other people's viewpoints. Oh, also, I want people to disagree, like because the book isn't a polemic on things. It's I I have subjective opinions or experiences, a lot of which changed when researching and writing the book. But I wanted it to be like like having a discussion, and then especially with some of those things that I think we should be as a society talking about more anyway with less stigma the idea was that someone would then go mm, I don't know what I think about that I'm going to talk about it with my friend later or I'm going to bring it up with somebody going mm, Sarah says this <laughs> um, what do you think and I that's the whole point rather than you're not trying to bombard people with the fact that like you as the writer are correct because I'm absolutely not like I'm a comedian and also it becomes too preachy doesn't it yeah and people yes. don't want to read that no and also I think people do either switch off I think what happens with experts and academics is you assume that you're wrong that they must know and the great thing about being a comic is you're never right you're an idiot you're an idiot as your job <laughs> and so you can just say oh I thought maybe this or this is an interesting way to look at it but yeah. Sarah lovely to talk to you lovely a bit about the, around about the book yeah <laughs> um, come again you're always welcome please thank okay. you Okay, so Sarah's book is out now. Rachel's ready. Uh, out of 10, honestly? 11. Because it was really entertaining <laughs> and I learned from it. See, I, I and like I'm going to hold on to it. better than an eight and a half or a nine. Because yeah. you can't really give it a 10 because that's too, that's too, you know, um, you smoke it, blacking smoke it, weather, sun and Because I'm usually all about the novels. I really love but, this. Uh, that's quite a clever mark, 11 out of 10, isn't it? Because you can't really argue with it's that one. It's lovely for my ego. <laughs> Thank you, Rachel. Okay. You're welcome, okay. Sarah. Okay, uh, Frankie Boyle, you could have put that on the front cover instead of genuinely hilarious, but that'll do. So Frankie says genuinely hilarious and Rachel says 11 out of 10. Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you. What are you doing for the rest of today, having gotten up at silly o'clock to come and see us? I've got a very exciting appointment with the dentist at 11. What are you looking towards with the dentist? Oh, I've, I've got the Invisalign where I'm, uh, the braces. You got them on now? No, I haven't got them I was on say, now. Can't <laughs> no, really good. <laughs> Anything else today? Anything else today? Oh, what am I doing? Um, I'm dropping the puppy off in Sussex. I'm going to Paris tomorrow to do book events good at, for at Shakespeare you. and Co. Yeah, right, so, good for yeah. you. All right, and September, rest of September, is it book, 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 book? Going to Cuba for the, a documentary. Oh, we haven't even talked about that. No, that's all right. When it comes out, will you come and talk? Yes, when are they going to be on? Next year, so I'll come all right, back. BBC Two, she's yeah. going around the world uh, finding out very interesting things about uh, stuff that might not be happening for much longer. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. All right, brilliant. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. From panel shows and sitcoms to sell out stand-up shows across the country he's one of the uk's most successful comedians his new tour bit much starts next month in york and here to tell us all about it is a man that recently had his appendix out and really quite enjoyed it please welcome the wonderful josh whittaker good morning good josh morning how are you very well how are you i'm great thank you so really excited what do you want to talk about first uh, your appendix um <laughs> alex horn's birthday party uh taskmaster um rachel would you like to conduct his wedding s- your wedding i'm a wedding i've got so much on yeah is all this going to be in the tour no um the appendix the appendix <laughs> isn't, isn't in the tour right. yeah, you a, get it in a jar no you don't oh. I, they just get rid of it you kind of just wake up and you've it's all Gone. over have you never had it have you had your appendix very out? few people do nowadays yeah it's one of the best things i've ever experienced genuinely because i didn't know it wasn't that bad and then um they just kind of put me on morphine and i've genuinely i don't want to i don't want to you know but if you get the opportunity to have your appendix out, it's amazing. So it's not the appendix extraction that's amazing, it's the morphine. It's the morphine do. that's amazing, <laughs> yeah. It's the, yeah, the appendix extraction, what you have to go through to have the morphine. So how did you... Sure, there's got to be some material in this. Well, that's what to. I thought, Chris. But then you go on stage and you go, has anyone had their appendix out? And everyone's like, <laughs> yeah, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. And so I've realised that I think I'm the only person that's ever enjoyed it. Let me ask you this. So, so mm. I love Brass. Have you seen Brassic on Sky 1? 
Uh, no, I haven't. Right, you have to watch Brassic okay. episode four tonight. You, do you have Sky at home? I do have Sky okay. at home. Okay, well, I can't believe you've not watched Brassic then. It's the funniest thing ever on telly. Ever. Okay. It's episode two, right? Yep. It's episode four tonight, but every uh, all six are available on demand. Yep. One, six, one hours. Funniest thing ever. Okay. I'm ever, Josh. Ever, it. ever. Yep. Episode two has the best sight gag I've ever seen on screen in any movie or TV show. I'm very excited about okay. this. Okay. You know the chandelier moment in Only Fills yep. and Horses? Uh, you know the, the, the pratfall in Only Fills and Horses? Yep. Forget them. Okay, Forget this him. is amazing. Forget I, I want to say what it's about, but yeah, I can't because it'll give it away. Yeah, yeah you but, can't describe a sight gag yeah, as well. But it? the best thing about Brassic is it doesn't have any jokes in it, right? Right. Now, I, I don't think you do jokes, but you make people laugh. So how do you do that? So, so And lots of, people, lots of comedians do this, don't they? Yeah. I think... You know, forget the joke, but you can still make people laugh. I think it's the observation. I think it's the personality. I think... I remember Eddie Izzard saying that people are kind of... When they come and see you... A lot of the thing, they're just spending, they like, like you as a person, they find you an amusing kind of person, they want to spend time in your company. And I think if I came on and started doing one-liners, it wouldn't feel like me. And I think the best stand-up comedy, you feel like you're talking to the person, and you feel like they're having a conversation with you. Uh, tickets to go and see Josh Whittacombe, joshwhittacombe.com. His tour starts, UK's uh, Autumn's tour, a bit much, uh, starts Thursday, 3rd of October in York. Tickets now, available at joshwhittacombe.com. Well, we say they're available, uh, sometimes... Uh, uh, comedians come on the show and they're already sold out or they've got like two tickets left in, I don't know in Carlisle somewhere or something like that yeah. how, how, how are your ticket sales going? They're, do you know what I, I buried my head in the sand and I said to my agent I don't want to know but they're going well but some of them are sold out some aren't sold out but uh, the ones that are sold out there will be more dates added at some point See, it's good yeah good yeah like that what, what's the best tour you've done from a ticket sales point of view this one already okay so how many how many venues so far how many dates so far and how many potentially ish would be added uh there is 34 dates so far whoa and i'm hoping to add at least twice that again twice that what i'm aiming for 90 good for you why not? When you got the show, you want to do it. Do you know what I mean? Once you've written the show, that's the, and then you get to enjoy exactly. and do it. I mean, look at Shakespeare. Exactly. You know, they're still, they're still, still going. going. You know, write, write a decent act. Yeah. Added you to phenomenal demand, Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? yeah. Sort of fifth century and counting. Is it fifth, sixth? Don't know. Anyway, now you say you've already got your. Is it a ninety-minute show or a two-hour show from the third of 90 October? Ninety-minute. Ninety-minute show with yeah. an interval or without an interval? With an interval. With an interval. Now that's interesting, isn't it? So when when do you where, where in the show does the interval? So come? there's a support, and they'll do they do about fifteen twenty minutes, and then I'll come on and do about half an hour, which is about fifty minutes, and then. Interval and then an hour. That's interesting because that's the opposite way of what the the Bonpre formula for musicals in the West End, according to impresarians impresarios such as Andrew Lloyd Webber and Cameron McIntosh. Yeah, isn't there a there's a formula for the perfect length of a show in the West End, and I think. It's about 65% first half, 35% second half. But you go the other way around. I go the other way. Interesting. I, You're like I, a top-heavy fraction. I tell you why I do that. Go because on. audiences, they warm up after the interval. They want to They want to be told the shows. The first half, they go, oh, this is funny. This is going to be funny. And the second half, they relax and enjoy it. So give them more in the second half. And, and do you ever have a half-time team talk to yourself? Oh, yeah. How, does oh, it, how yeah. do they go? Give, give us give us the, 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 the most fragile one and, okay, and the, the most, most blustering one. one. The I, mean, most, I suppose you don't have to have one if you're blustering. The most fragile one is where, you, where you'd go, it's, do you know what? They're probably enjoying it more than you think they are. It's probably the acoustics of the room. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and this is you to yourself. <laughs> just to myself. He's gone red. This is a real thing, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And then you're like, and it will pick up. It will pick up. Just keep, keep, keep doing what you're doing. It'll be fine. Right, so that's oh, the fragile my one. Goodness me, I'm going. I'm having a cold sweat for you. <laughs> yeah. What is that like? What's that like? Do you know what? I was. I was about to say something that's really. Sh- I was about to say. I've had it so many times. I'm fine with it. But <laughs> <laughs> it's it's tough, but it's fine. You come off and you have a cup of tea, and you're like, in an hour, I'm going to be on a motorway. So it can only go so badly. Yeah, not, it's... not on a motorway bridge. On a motorway. Yeah, on a motorway, and I'm going to be. You know. I'll, I'll, at some point, I'm going to be in bed. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. We've heard from three guests already, but there's loads more still to come. Ben Elton tells us why, for the first time in 15 years, he's going back to stand-up. Laura Carmichael on returning to Highclere Castle, a.k.a. Downton Abbey, for the cinematic release of the year. Sir Alistair Cook bowls us over with tales from his new autobiography. And Alan de Botter chats the school of life and gives his top three tips for parenting. All that and more, but first, Dapper Dave, who's next? He's one of the finest comedic minds of his generation. He's won BAFTAs, had hit West End shows, written numerous novels, and has absolutely nothing left to prove. But he's still proving it. For the first time in 15 years, returning to the stand-up stage, please welcome the soon-to-be-touring legend of comedy. It's Ben Elton. Morning, Ben. Morning, Chris. What a pleasure to be back, and thank you for that beautiful introduction. Nothing left to prove. You've always got it to prove. Every day, you're 21 years old, you've got to face each day like your first day. That's my view. So Ben Elton embarks upon his first UK tour for over a decade, uh, 80 days, he's now telling me, 66 days, uh, 14 warm-ups, uh, beginning in Stevenage. Um, is it beginning? No, no, starting in Dublin. Friday ending in Stevenage. You know rock and roll, no sleep till Stevenage. Okay. And we, all, we all play by the same rules. Okay. Uh, start, <laughs> so you start in Dublin, 27th of September. Uh, you're due to finish Friday the 20th of December in Stevenage. I mean, you've got Christmas as your end goal. I mean, that's yeah. great, isn't oh, it? Gosh, How cool so is drunk. that? I, my, my wife's saying, you're not allowed to cook this year. You are not allowed, because I always do Christmas. I do my right. mincemeat in November and all that but yeah I'm really looking forward to I'll be looking forward to the end but you know I can't play arenas even I'm glad I don't have that temptation I mean in my generation the punters don't go to arenas for comedy that's a new thing so if I want to play play to the audience that want to see me I've got to go to them I've got to do exactly the same halls I played with Rick Mayle back in the 80s I'm back in those wonderful Bradford Alhambra Leicester de Montford 
town theatres, town halls, same same gigs actually that the Stones and the Beatles were playing in the, in the sixties. You yeah. know, before the world of arena dawned, you know, there were only human sized venues, and because I can't sell enough tickets, I'm still in them, which is wonderful. Because as a stand up comedian, I think the temptation to play a vast arena. I'm not knocking people who do because people want to go. So the Dylan Skinner were the first. Well, they, they were the first. They did an arena show, and that was great. And I, I don't knock it, but it must be a different art form. I think these arena shows are more about community. I think the reason young people are really loving to go to these vast sort of car parks, these warehouses, to, to be... I think it's been part of the event. I think they're obviously not, not so foolish as to think, oh, well, I'm getting an intimate gig with a, the comedian I love. But it's been part of almost a tribal thing. And I think that's because we're getting more and more isolated. The, the on, you know, the, Obviously, the internet, the phone is, is, is drawing us all within. We're all staring at our, our phones. And, and I think there's a craving for the communal experience. That's why live is so big now. Massive. Really hard to get a theatre in London for a new show because everybody's trying to go live. Not just because it's a way to, it's one of the few ways you can still earn a living because everything else is free on, on the net, you know, or stealable, but also because I think there's a real craving within the community to actually say, hey, we're all in this together. And yet when you get on a train now, we're not. We're all, no one's looking out the window. Nobody's even looking at each other. We're all looking at our phones. It's almost like a dystopian vision. I've, I've My brother-in-law was an NBA, he was a Chicago Bull. And I mean, literally. A, a top, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My, my, my wife's sister is married to Luke Longley, the, who was a part of the Mike Jol- Jordan, Michael Jordan team. He's got three three medals, three NBA medals. And he'd say on the bus, they'd finish a game and everyone was chucking you know, wet flannels at each other and having a laugh. Now, he's a coach of the Australian, Australian basketball team. He says everyone gets on. And literally all these young men who should be sort of singing at the back are all staring at their phones, along with the rest of the world, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why people like to go to big gigs. But I'm playing nice. They're not too intimate, town halls and I don't, I don't believe anything you've just said, because I know why you're playing these theatres. Because if you play arenas, and Seinfeld plays arenas, and Robin Williams was playing arenas before he passed away, so you could play arenas and you would sell out. Mm. I know the reason you're playing theatres, because there are great curry houses next to theatres, yeah. after-show curry houses, because I've been to one with you, and you can't get that when you play yeah, the O2. You can't get that in arena. That's you're going to have to have a, a cone of popcorn from, from the queuing yeah, Look, stand-up comedy for me is a real art form. I, 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 it's a beautiful medium for the exploration of ideas. I mean, a lot of people say, "What's your favourite for comment?" I'm really not interested in other comedians. I wish them well, but none of them do what I do because what I do is unique. I'm sure what they do is unique, but the reason my stuff is unique because it's about what I'm thinking, what I'm exploring, the ideas I want to weave together. I mean, I'm never going to win an Edinburgh Best Joke competition. I don't do jokes. I mean, all power to the comics who do those lovely one line but it's for me it's about the ideas it's about developing a theme and arriving at a comedic com- conclusion and drawing the audience's imaginations in to sort of say let's share in this mad journey and find out where we get together it's almost like a dialogue and you can't really do that in too big a venue you have to be able to feel the room you know you have to be able to feel the room and play the room and 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 ask people to will you invite me into your imagination will you let me engage my thoughts with yours i mean the audience is not is, is proactive in my audience. They don't just sit there and go, well, that was funny, that wasn't funny. If you ain't thinking, you're definitely missing <laughs> it. Which is a referendum, it. isn't it? Yeah, it's I bi- guess. It's it's binary. Right. There ain't no referendums in my gigs. It isn't, it, isn't a, it isn't a yes, no moment. You've got to stay with the programme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't sort of wake up halfway through, get triggered and tweet on board. No, that's no good. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I it's, it. uh, it's exciting to be, to be back and, again, to be playing those same gigs I did with Rick. Well, 
I w- obviously, I wish he was with us, but I think he'd be very pleased to see that I can still do it. Say, Bloody hell, Barty, you're still selling tickets. Oh. <laughs> Some more headlines today, uh, Ben, because you're, you're all over the place. It's like the old days. You're, it is. It's, ben El- it's a Ben Elton PR frenzy, isn't if it? If you want it, well, because I'm going all over the country. Fair the, enough. The, like the proverbial rash, I'll be there uh, because I'm going to wear the punt. If there's punters who want to see me, I will be in their town and having a curry afterwards. All right, don't listen to Baldrick. Blackadder will never come back. That's in the paper <laughs> oh, today. He's going to be so annoyed with me. I can't believe that's a headline. <laughs> Yes. Why will he be so annoyed with you? Oh, I don't know. I'm being a bit... <laughs> me. I, I look, I, every time, you know... Because obviously, fair enough, Tony says, oh, I don't know, there might be, you know, when we be, 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 meet... This is Sir Tony Robinson. Sir Tony, of course, goodness gracious. How did Rowan feel when Baldrick got knighted? Well, I mean, we laughed so much. we got Sir Tony Robinson, yeah. and coming up on the show very soon, we have Sir Lenny Henry. He's going to be on the I show I know, too. they're all getting sirred up, aren't they? Yeah. My goodness. And, and my dear friend Emma got damed. I mean, oh, my goodness. I'm, Do you feel I, a little bit... Literally, I go, I go to a party with my mates, I have to walk in on my knees. I mean, literally. I mean, I, I, they're all so far above me now. Head lower, please, and you're a non-speaking part at this particular drinks party. Yes, okay. exactly. Um, so, so, so did you ever have a rumble? Did you have a whisper from the palace? Did you ever... Me? Your no, friends? I've never had so much as a, a, a nod really? or a wink. And I mean, you know, I, I, I think, you know, frankly, the honours the, the, the honors are in the laughter, mate. You know, every uh, every time anyone laughs, I feel but like you I've wouldn't been dubbed, say no. dubbed yeah. on both shoulders. Well, I don't know, I'd have to think about it it's weird it depends who and from what and why, why? anyway i don't think the question's going to arise i think i've been too much of an irritant you never for that. know who's never listening know. the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky on virgin radio he's regarded as one of the greatest openers in english cricket he's the fifth highest test run scorer in history and did it all without breaking a sweat here with a copy of his new autobiography ready to elegantly caress us through the covers please welcome the one and only sir alistair cook good morning alistair good morning good morning very nice to see you. Uh, do you remember our chat back on Radio 2 when you were going to play for England for the first time? Well, I remember the first time meeting was almost was in India. Do you remember that one in 2006? Yeah, we went you're, to... You were on... Um, I can't remember exactly. But it was I'm, Comet Relief. That thing. was it. That and was we played it. at the Mumbai Stadium. We did. And it was on telly. <laughs> yeah, and that was the... That was <laughs> Which my... is fine for you because you're a cricketer, <laughs> but it wasn't so good for me. But that was the only test match I missed throughout my whole career because I was ill, but that made me meet you because me and Paul Collywood went out for a beer that night. and We had a laugh. Yeah, Good fun. It was good fun. Okay, so, so the book's out, the career is done uh, and yeah. dusted. We are on day three of Ashes Test 4. Um, a couple of weeks ago on this show, uh, Kevin Peterson popped up. So we're doing the show live from Portugal, and Kevin Pe- from a golf club, right, via a laptop with two G clamps and two microphones, and Kevin Peterson is teeing off, happens to be teeing off in front of us. So we run out and say, will you come on the radio? So he says, yes. Never met him before. Uh, I couldn't have imagined a more gentle, affable um, um, giant. He's so polite to everybody. He was so forthcoming, so honest, so sincere. That's my take. You, you take people as you find them, you know, not as a cricketer. You've had to write about him in your book. OK. What, what, give us a gist of what, what might be in there, what you might have said about you and his relationship. Well, I, we had a, an interesting relationship because we, uh, we played quite a long time together, like probably nine, nine or ten years. Uh, and he was, a, you know, for the majority of that time, was a, you know, he was an interesting character. Um, <laughs> but, you know, his interest, you know, the way he batted, obviously, you, kind of, you, you saw that. You know, he was very flamboyant, very, uh, you know, he, he played shots which no, no one else could play. And it was, he was definitely a trailblazer. Obviously, when you deal with Mavericks, there's probably a different side to it. 
to that as well. Uh, and, he, and he became, it was difficult to manage at certain times. And towards the end of his career with us, uh, you know, that was that was certainly the case. But I think like, in the book, I try and explain my side of what happened. I haven't, you know, I, it's not quite like his book where he goes and tries to nail every single person to do with it. I was just more what happened when you suddenly made England captain and you were then in 2012, you then do you bring the guy back? after what happened with the text gate with Andrew Strauss and your loyalty to Straussy. So I kind of tried to get through that and try to sum up that from my side and kind of responsibilities and the feelings you have as a captain where you're, you're involved in the decision where you're knowing you might end a bloke's career, which is obviously not an easy decision to make. In international career. Though. International career, sorry. Test, test career, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, that's, so it's, it was interesting. It was a, and I hope in the book I tried to, to do that, actually. Right, now, Alistair Cook, you've got to go in a minute because you're on TalkSport in a second or two with our pals over there and they want you from half nine. So we've got to get Vassis's, um, uh, Sir Alistair Cook SAS question out of the way. Off you go. So, Well, you mentioned the SAS. I mean, in fact, quite close to when you had your shock retirement from cricket and people are saying, no, you should just take a sabbatical. You just need a break because you played all those consecutive tests. And you say, you know, I've read a lot about the SAS. You talk about how fascinated you are with the SAS. Actually, Ant Middleton from SAS Who Days Wins was in this week sitting in Ben's chair and, and he has this new book out called The Fear Bubble. And I, And I was wondering, actually, when you came in, whether you unknowingly use those techniques so every time you you know you have famous concentration and he and he says don't worry about it until you know the bullets are about to be flying around your head there's no point in being nervous the night before or even 10 meters before you know you're going to engage the enemy and so you you know you when you're when you're at the crease and you're batting for hours and hours and hours I wondered if you use that technique as a okay now I get into what he calls the fear bubble now I'm facing the delivery and now now it's gone there's nothing can harm me not quite like that. We so I used to use probably more of a technique the night before. Um, I was nervous the night before, but I used to write all my notes about the game the night before in bed. I used to find that a really safe environment. I know it sounds really silly, but I wasn't that nervous. I wasn't that. Um, so I wrote all the stuff I wanted to do the next day. Then and then when the nerves around the next morning, obviously first day or whatever, or you're about to bat. I then read the notes of what I wrote down. This is this is what I want to try and do. This is what I want to achieve. So I was like trying to, you know, have that there. And I was like, all right, that's so clear. Then go out and bat. The nerves thing. I was always nervous. I was nervous whether I was on 20, 30, 40. Just that's just the way it was. I was like, that's so very very different to there. But the SAS is just interesting. I find it. A, but a fascinating thing. Well, the other question is, because Ant Middleton also presents a celebrity version of SAS Who Dares Wins. Shall we give him your number? Uh, <laughs> I've always wanted to do something um, as a challenge after I've played cricket just to see what happens. You know, when you go into something totally outside your comfort zone. So my friend ran from uh, John O'Groats to Land's End last couple of weeks uh, and I joined him for a day. Uh, I, ran th- I ran 30 miles, he ran 60, but it was just interesting to see him go through that. And I want to do something when I'm out of my comfort zone. You know, cricket's all I've ever known in terms of being mentally tough. I don't know well, whether I was or not. So to do something well, I'm not very good at and see how hard, you know, how good my brain is really on that. So I'm not ruling it out, but I'm not so good on the TV. Didn't stuff. sound like a no. Sounded like a yes to <laughs> say. Like yeah. yes. Okay, I was being kind. When did you get the call about the knighthood? Did you have any idea? I had not I had no idea. I, I did, obviously, when it was raised in co- Commons by someone, some gentleman, I don't quite know who it was, I thought, well, that's interesting, it might happen. And then actually, so you kind of did start checking the post, you know, around the time you thought you might, and obviously nothing happened. So I was like, oh, it's like, okay, it doesn't matter. And then, and then I actually, I was at a 
uh, like a late lunch with about 30 friends and I got a text. I found out, found out through a text from what my agent things, saying. What did it say? Well, he just said, you need, to see your, you need to see your emails ASAP. By the way, I'm not calling you sir. So it's kind of like good indication. Oh, nice. but obviously, you know, like. <laughs> and you got it for well-deserved. You didn't even have to break a bank or move into being a tax exile to get a knighthood. I think that's really impressive. But then it was trying to keep, obviously, like, I don't, I never had my phone out, but I had it, like, here, just sat there on there, and I saw it. I was like, I can't, I can't say anything. Obviously, you're not going to say anything, are you? So I had to cry and keep quite unemotional. Oh. Uh, so, but you were at a long lunch anyhow. Yeah. I mean, that could have been the perfect platform for an even more... Longer lunch. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, obviously the confidentiality bit of it for oh. four weeks, but... So you're really not allowed to... It's, it's like, well, yeah, it's like the, the plot I mean, of Downton. When no the letter comes know. through, when the letter comes through, it's like all of it in there saying, wow. please don't say anything. But then it, it got leaked anyway, two, three or four days before anyway, so... Right, Alison, you've got to go. Thank you very much for having Thanks me. Thanks very much. Talk sport. It's just down the corridor on the left-hand side. Perfect. Thank okay, the book is ace. Congratulations, Alistair Cook, the autobiography. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. It's official, the perfect English accents, the tea parties, the galas, the dinners and dramas are making their way to the silver screen. The Downton Abbey movie is out next Friday and here to tell us all about it is the classy Lady Edith Crawley, more commonly known as the wonderful Laura Carmichael. Morning, Laura. Good morning. Oh, what a movie. Oh, good. I'm so glad you liked it. I hadn't seen much of the TV show, to be Uh honest. My mum loved it. Yeah. I watched I watched a bit of a Christmas special with mm-hmm. a one Christmas day, which I'll never forget. But I, I go to the movie. I can tell anybody who hasn't watched Downton, Downton the movie is fine without you knowing anything about anything that's happened before. That's May have happened so before, great. may not happen before. Um how do we talk about this? Uh, we can we can tell everybody that the King and Queen yes. are gonna come and stay. They come and stay at Downton Abbey. Mm. So Everyone sort of goes into overdrive, getting excited and getting the house to ready. To say the least. To say the least. And as always, yeah. it's a story of above stairs and below stairs. Exactly. So the royal family come with their own staff as well. So that's exciting. Rivalry. There's rivalry. Straight away. It's brilliant. It's, so butler off. it's a butler off. It's brilliant. <laughs> oh my it's so God, great. It's, it's a retired butler off. Yes. In the end. That, oh, is that too much? Have I given too no, much? No, I think that's okay. I think I've seen that around in some clips. But yeah, so you have to get so Mr. Carson Is that back. David Haig versus Jimmy, Jim Carter? That's it. Two yeah. brilliant titanic <laughs> British actors head to head in a butler off. I cannot wait. It's yeah, and, so and the, the current butler mm. then has an experience of his own. Yes. Um, which is... is fascinating Mm -hmm. maybe that is a spoiler okay yeah that is maybe heading that way but yeah everyone has um you know the thing that julian does so well is he keeps all of the plates spinning as he says so everyone has their own journey and And there are many plates and silver salvers great journey but yeah it's magic i'm so pleased you loved it how was filming downton the movie as opposed to filming an episode of downton the telly show well i mean we'd had a bit of a break we'd had three years off so it was a bit of a reunion really it was a bit of a party. And, you know, we're doing... Shooting the film takes about two months, whereas the series would take six. So there's a kind of lightness and the energy of it. Every day was kind of magic. Was there any difference, like, from, you know... Um, I, I talking to a Bond producer, um, yeah. and they, they often refer to the world as not enough as the budget is, was not enough. Totally. Um, <laughs> yeah. could, could the, was there any change, like, catering? Was it sort of Yeah, wardrobe. breakfast. Yeah, it was all a bit swankier. I mean, it is... And, and like shooting it was swankier. You get like you know a helicopter and 
you know, the, it looks stunning. The opening shot of, of uh, yeah. Highgate is gorgeous. Isn't it? Well, I thought that it's would. Amazing. I was thinking, is it a drone or is it a heli? Yeah, there's a helicopter. Oh, you mean a helicopter shot? A helicopter I shot. thought you had I'm a sorry, helicopter yeah. instead no, of a car. Not in 1927, <laughs> Ben, for heaven's sake. What's wrong with you? No, no, yeah. I thought we were talking about bringing the actors in for the early yeah. calls. You get oh, a helicopter, yeah. darling. I thought you want Igor Sikorsky oh, no, coming no, in there. That's what was said. You know, it's much swankier. I mean, you get a helicopter. I thought, blimey. What, from Berkshire? Yeah. I'm obsessed with the helicopter. I've told everyone about that shot. But it's cool. For the girls, right? Yeah. For the girls. Sometimes for the boys, but mostly for the girls. And mm-hmm. having been around film sets and Ben's been around film sets, the wardrobe, especially on a period drama, is it just like a dream? Is it like heaven? It is a dream. It's very time-consuming mm-hmm. as well. So it's a lot of fittings and being sewn in and kind of how much? How long, do, how long does it take to get sewn in? And compared to how it used yeah. to happen back in the day, is it at all similar? And have, yeah. have people gone to sewing in courses? Yeah, I, yes, Corset definitely. Courses. Yeah, our, our costume team are amazing. But yeah, that sort of process in the morning might take like an hour just to get dressed. And so, so t- talking of wardrobe, uh, do you get any help? Do you ask any favours? Because I've experienced this before uh-huh. for, say, example, a premiere, the oh. premiere on Monday. Yes. Have you made a few calls? Yes. Uh, tell us, can you give us any insight into what I might be can. going on? Yeah, I've got a brilliant stylist, Rebecca Corbin-Murray. Morning, Rebecca. Yeah, morning, Rebecca. Um, so, so big, yeah, she's helping. She calls in a lot of stuff and then I try it all on. And So big premiere on Monday. Yeah. Leicester Square. Yeah. Won't get any bigger. Mm-hmm. Biggest, biggest premiere I ever attended was the Jurassic Park oh, um, cool. premiere, which I think 60, 60 odd thousand people they reckon turned up for that one. Uh, the last time you were on the show, do you remember who you're on the show with? Yes. Go on. Holly Willoughby. Yeah. Um, and who else was on? Um, who who am I not remembering? Hugh Grant. Oh, Hugh Grant, of course. <laughs> yeah. That was hilarious. Um, yeah, We that's were talking right. to you. We we said, we've heard, it's 2016, and we said that's we've heard so a whisper funny. about Downton the movie. Yeah. And you said something like, well, it, it depends whether Julian's in the mood or not. Now you can tell us. Yeah. Did you actually know then that it was already sorted? No, it did. It took a while. I mean, he started talking about the film when we were still making the TV show, so... We knew he wanted to do it, but then getting the script together and then getting 15 lead actors to kind of all be available at the same time Mm. took three years. (laughs) So that's sort of how long it took. But we all kind of, you know, we wanted to do it. It just was all like moving. Uh, Laura, before you go, and thanks so much for being here and well done with the movie. If if you've never seen a frame of Downton, the TV series, don't worry about it. The movie is completely uh, sort of self-contained. It's fantastic. It really stands up. You know, uh, it's it's a fully-fledged cinematic motion picture and it's brilliant from start to finish and it is so flipping funny. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. He's been making people muse, mull and contemplate since his multi-million selling debut Essays in Love and his latest tome The School of Life and Emotional Education is out today. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the philosopher you've been waiting for. It's Alain de Botton. Good morning, Alain. Good morning and thank you so much. Welcome, welcome. Uh, So, The School of Life is a collective of thinkers. Tell us about that first. Yeah, well, it's a real school. It's a uh, you can go there in London and in 10 places around the world and basically it aims to teach you everything that real school that you went to didn't teach you because most of the things that end up messing up our lives um, didn't weren't taught. We were so busy studying geography and history we forgot to t- study how to be patient, how to be calm, how to be generous, how to be forgiving, how to make a good choice and so we've messed up our lives, at least I have um, and and we this is an institution that's designed to save you a bit of time. You know, people always say things like you can transmit scientific knowledge but you 
you can't transmit wisdom. That's nonsense. There are things that every gen- generation learns through a lot of pain. And the School of Life is a place where you can pick up some of that knowledge before it's too late. It's designed to save you a bit of time. Some people say you can't beat the mind with the mind. Uh, I think the mind is a curious organ. You've got to try and make friends with it. It's uh, it's definitely strange. It misfires. It gives you the wrong idea, particularly in love. Do you know how unreliable our minds are <laughs> when it comes to love? You know, we live in a sort of romantic age that says um, the moment you meet somebody, if you get that special lovey feeling, that's a really good sign that you should probably spend the next 50 years with them. No. At School of Life, we teach absolutely not. Our first instincts in love are almost always wrong. And here's the reason. Most of the way that we operate as adults um, has its roots in childhood. This is a bit humiliating because you think, hang on a minute, I'm 40, I'm 50, I'm 60. You're telling me that everything that happens to me emotionally is down to what happened before I was 10? The answer is yes, Um, almost everything. So without understanding our childhoods and their dynamics, we cannot choose wisely, either in our careers or in love. We'll be steering blind. So if anybody out there has got a difficult love life and keeps choosing wrongly, the reason is that when we're children, many of us get our first taste of love wrapped up with some pretty uncomfortable dynamics. Maybe mum's always busy. Maybe dad's depressed. Maybe there's somebody who makes makes us feel very guilty, always distant and cold. And then what happens is in adult life, you get introduced to lovely people who are kind of healthy and fun. And you go, oh, I could go out with them. But you're not attracted to them because the only people you're really attracted to are the people who can spark that feeling of not quite being appreciated or being left hanging that you first knew in childhood. And those are the people that you get obsessed by and that you fall in love with. So sometimes when you introduce people to somebody who's healthy, they'll go, I don't find them very attractive. And you'll go, why not? And the secret answer, they wouldn't tell you this, is this person feels too healthy to elicit from me the feelings of love that I need to feel. um, And I can only feel with somebody who's quite messed up and who's going to mess me up. So at the School of Life, we teach a lot of caution about love at first sight. It's often compulsion at first sight towards a problematic dynamic that unfolded in your life unknowingly before you were about six. A few things before you go, and there's so much we could talk to you about, and I'm sorry we haven't got time, but we've kept on for as long as we could. Um, Three absolute zinging tips for for parenthood. Can you do that? Uh, Yes. Okay. So one of the first things you need to know as a parent is that a child should be difficult. An infant should be difficult. The notion that a child is, you know, playing up and is trying to assert themselves against their parents, etc. We can be a bit paranoid about the so-called bad moods of an an infant. I mean, I've heard sort of, you know, a a baby is seven days old and the parent's going, "Mm, they've got to know who's boss. No, 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 no. When when an infant is that small let them be boss adjust to them Um, we all is that you getting your mum and dad back yes (laughs) basically yes we all need moments of where the child is uh, enjoying what psychoanalysts would call primary omnipotence they are the little emperor let them be because only on the basis of having had a a little bit of time like that can we then become you know responsible office workers take our place in society and be good people that are authentic you know there's there's such a thing as adjusting too early to the demands of the world being over compliant being a good boy or girl too soon you know if you see somebody who's a very very good student age sort of five and is always really worried about being on time and etc you start to worry a little bit about them because you think what you know on what basis are they not allowed to bring out some of their more difficult sides yeah. so difficulty belongs to health especially at a young uh, age 
The other thing for parents is, you know, we, we, we assault ourselves with, with thoughts that we're not the perfect parents. This wonderful child psychoanalyst that we love at the School of Life, Donald Winnicott, said, no one needs a perfect parent. Indeed, if you have a perfect parent, it'll make you psychotic because the job, <laughs> the job of a parent is to disappoint um, the child. It's a minefield. <laughs> it's a minefield. But the perfect parent is dangerous. The only thing that anyone ever needs is a good enough parent. He came up with this lovely phrase, the good enough parent. And all we need to be as human beings is good enough. Perfection and the aspiration to perfection is profoundly dangerous. You wanted three. Um, look, I think I think the last thing to remember ab- about uh, parenthood and childhood is childhood lasts forever. All of us remain children. You, you see a 90-year-old, they've got a child inside them. So rather than thinking, okay, that all came to an end when the driving um, uh, test happened at age 17. No, we have to allow room for our ongoing infantile sides and we have to give them a, 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 an allowance generosity a feeling that yes sometimes you can have your little tantrum but try and try and put a fire guard around it mm. try and protect those you love from those uh, eruptions but don't feel that there's something wrong with you if sometimes you regress we all regress there are moments when we feel fragile sad we need a hug and we are emotionally five years old again and that's okay just put yourself under a blanket spend half an hour like that and then get reaccess your adult self but don't make a war don't feel embarrassed and ashamed at the ongoing child self in you everybody has it it's part of being a mature person is negotiating well with the child the ongoing child in you alan you're great you did not disappoint at all uh, over the livers as always alan de Botton, the school of life and emotional education it's out today the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky on virgin radio from human traffic to doctor who he's graced our stage and screens for over 25 years and rarely has he put a foot wrong soon to be seen marauding across the stage in macbeth that the chish just has fe- oh, oh, no! No! Oh. Oh. Prison Officers Association. Soon to be seen marauding across the stage in Macbeth at the Chichester Festival. Please welcome the Shakespearean superstar, John Sim. John Sim. Hey, hello. Good hello. morning, hello. John. How are you? I'm good, thank you. you How are you? you? I'm very well. You talk, You joined us to talk about Macbeth under a Macbeth sky. Oh, it's very Macbethian <laughs> this morning, isn't it? Yeah, I so brought it with me. Dapper Dave there, right, Dapper Dave, who is brilliant, by the way, but he trips up a little bit on four lines. How many lines do you have in Macbeth? Loads. How many? Have, I, have I, you ever counted I, them? I haven't counted them. Are, no. are they, is it in the thousands? Uh, it must be, mustn't it? Yeah, it must be, yeah. It must I, be. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's not as big as Hamlet. Um, he hasn't got as many lines as Hamlet, but he's got a lot. Right, OK. Uh, yeah. f- first first big question. Why are you doing this to yourself? Oh, man, I ask myself that every single morning. It's, uh, I just seem like, you know these things, they seem like a really good idea at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you say, yeah, 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 I'll do that. I'd love to play Macbeth. And then suddenly you've got to play Macbeth. So now I feel like I'm stood at the bottom of a mountain. Um, the bottom. Well, base, your base camp. Yeah, we haven't not... started yet. No, I know, but you, you're right at the bottom still. Well, I've started. You know, I've started. <laughs> how, I've got my backpack on. <laughs> how much of it do you know? <laughs> I know quite a bit of it, but oh. I don't know all of it. When you well, so quite a bit. Which is the most important bit to to know? I mean, I presume all of it. But if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna have to sort of wing it a little bit, where, where's where's the best chance? Oh, that? I can't wing it. You can't wing Shakespeare. You can't wing Shakespeare. No, no, no. <laughs> see, see, I played Hamlet like ten years ago, and I thought, yeah, it'd be fine. I've done that. I'll, I can do this. But I'm ten years older now, and the old brain's not quite as um, you know up up for it. The learning lines bit. But I've I've learned big chunks. Big speeches. I've learnt the greatest hits. There's just the other oh, stuff I need to get in. You know? Yeah, right. but you know, it's it's beautiful language. It's gorgeous okay. stuff. So when when you know when you're doing something as important as this, uh, you know, vis-a-vis uh, Hamlet, you know, 
you say you know most of it. Yeah. Quite a lot of it. Yeah. Right? You know, with a few days to go, it is only a few days to go. When do you really need to know all of it? <laughs> when I'm walking out on stage to, to do it. Can it be that late um, in the day? Yeah, well, I, hopefully I will know all of it by the time, you know. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm looking for a moment. The producers are listening going, uh, perhaps a week before, previews, yeah, pre- yeah. do you previewing? Yeah, we've got previews, yeah, yeah, yeah. So previews, if I forget it in the previews, you know, I think they pay less money anyway, so that's fine. It's, it's all part, yeah, part of the course. Yeah, of course it is. Um, but yeah, it, it, I should be fine, hopefully, fingers crossed. Now, do you think that anybody in the audience... Um, might know the whole uh, of Macbeth. What, off by heart? Yeah. Wow. What are the chances of that? Um, you know, there, I guess there are some people that do. So, so in the previews, if they, if you, if you lose your way and they, they shout out a little cue for you, you that's going to be fine. That's fine by me. Fine yeah. by me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Should we, should we give that a go? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what, what we'll do? We'll play a little Macbeth tennis. You want a game? No, no, no. Oh come that, on! It's funny. Uh, what Macbeth tennis? Yeah. People what does are in that the. Mean? Uh, well, it means that I'm going to start a line. Oh. Right, and you're going to see it. I'm going <laughs> to look at his face. All right, all right. All right, right. but I'll make it easy. I'll make it gentle. I'll make it warm, right? Okay. I'll start the line as Johnny Vegas. Right. right. And you pick up in either your John Sim voice or your Macbeth voice. That, well, yeah, it's the same voice. Right. Okay. Is it? Well, kind of. No, he's a bit posher yeah, People than want a bit more he's than that king. for their money. He's a king. Come on. <laughs> he's a bit posher. All right, uh, it's Johnny Vegas. If it were done when it is done, then twere well. It were done quickly. Yes! <laughs> Well done. I'm going to give you a cheer. Can you get some cheers out for John on this? Oh, hallelujah chorus, because that was pretty impressive, wasn't it? That was. This is, by the way, not at all pre-warm. Well done. There's one. <laughs> one for one. Can you commentate, Vassos, please? Okay, that was very much one for one. One for one. Thank you. <laughs> all right, moment, Beth Lines. Is this a dagger which I see before me? The handle toward my hand. Come, let me clutch thee. I have thee not, and yet I see thee still. He's done it again! He's banging in there! Entirely unrehearsed! And that's not only two out of two, but that was a lovely little pause. <laughs> okay, only three to go, John. Oh no. How you feeling? Yeah, alright. Okay. <laughs> right. <clears throat> Will all great Neptune's ocean wash this blood? Clean from my hand. Correct, John! Come on! Doesn't get any better than this. Maybe I do know it. I can hear the producers breathing a huge sigh of relief. And Chichester's not just round the corner, you know. It's way down the M27. What are you shaking your head for? I just wasn't, you know, I didn't expect a Johnny Vegas Macbeth tennis challenge this morning. You're three out with two to play, so you've already won. good. Sounds like golf, that though. Okay, so um, here we have another line from Macbeth. Uh, John now realises that he knows more of it than he thought he did at the beginning of the interview, which is a blessed relief to everybody concerned. Okay, it's a little disappointing for us, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, So so here we go. It will have blood, they say. Blood will have blood. Oh, he's good, he's good. (laughs) You knew you had that. With the word blood. You had it on the B of the blood. Yep. Four out of four. Is it when Ben Stokes hit that final ball for four and he yeah, knew he'd won? Yeah. Is it, was it like that? It was exactly like that. You were looking down, you were reading, but it was four out of four. little sparkle in his eye. John, oh. it's all too good, John. OK, sure. by the way, if you want to see this brilliant so up-close-and-personal Chichester Festival Theatre from Saturday the 21st of September to Saturday the 26th of October, we're going cft.org.uk. After this, you're relieved. <laughs> Literally relieved. <laughs> okay. Okay, I have all duties to do with Macbeth uh, for at least um, the next hour. All right. Lay on, Macduff. Uh, oh, hang on. 
Leon McDuff. I did this bit yesterday. <laughs> Leon McDuff. Um, and? Oh, I can't remember it. I, I'll give it you word for word. Jump in whenever you like, okay? Leon McDuff and Damned B. Uh, I can't remember it. I don't know. Da- Damned B. Him. That. <laughs> weeps. <laughs> <laughs> cries. Oh, and Damned Be Him That Cries Hold Enough. Yes! Come on! <laughs> What bit of the play is that in? That's the end. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got there yet. Perfect. All right, thank you so much. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.